Why does someone leave the religion they were born into? What causes people to convert to a new belief system? What goes on inside a high-demand religion? Listen to the experiences of ordinary people as they answer those questions and more. Hi, and welcome to Chrysalis Podcast. Today, we're going to be interviewing David Paul. David Paul, hi. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Doing well. I'm excited. Awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about the group that you belong to and a little bit about your background? So I was born to a family that eventually got into a Baptist church, and then we went from Baptist to a non-denominational church. And then after that, I myself got into a Pentecostal church. So it was the same pastor from that non-denominational that we had when we were kids. My parents kind of left that church because they had a disagreement, but we were still Christian. High school, I went back to the Pentecostal church, which is now called then and still is IPHC, International Pentecostal Holiness Church. Okay. And that's kind of where that foundation comes from. My whole identity comes from the IPHC. Can you tell me a little bit about the IPHC? So the IPHC is, I think they're based out of Oklahoma. They have a lot of conference centers in the East Coast, and I'm I'm trying to find, they have a map on their website, but they have these conferences. So they'll have these really big buildings in a certain area. They'll hire pastors and create connections with other churches, and it kind of goes up the ladder. Does that make sense? So. I might be part of the, I think it was the Prince George Conference in Virginia, and we did church camps and stuff like that every summer outside of that building. And when I was around, we had Bishop Dayton Burt was our bishop. So the guy over the conference in our local area, that's what we have. They call themselves bishops. And then the head honcho, he's also the bishop of the entire conference. So you use the same terminology. And I think right now it's Gary Bryant, who's an incredible human being. So I have a lot of personal relationships, even though I was a peon, for lack of a better term, I did know a lot of the leadership because I was so heavily involved. So I was a part of a team that we were very unique in the sense that we traveled the entire East Coast and we went to all the different conferences and churches to help out where there was need. So like maybe they didn't have a worship leader, maybe they didn't have a worship team where they were getting started. Our leader in our group would also preach. So if maybe a pastor left or if they had a some type of hole that needed to be filled, he would go in and fill that hole and we would stay there until they, they vote in a new pastor, like church congregation. Right. So we did a lot of that. I had my little sister with me. I had my first wife, who's now uh, my ex-wife. We were dating at the time when we were there. That's how we kind of connected, even though I had known her my whole life. We connected through that. How long were you with the IPHC all totaled? The IPHC, I think it was 2006 up until 2014. Okay. So not quite that long, but I would be considered a mature Christian at that point in 2006 when I came in. So I was ready professionally is what I guess the term would be used for in the secular environment. Um, <laughs> so I was in, as the day I went in, I knew the Bible. I knew I had done an eight month discipleship after high school. Right. Um, so I had studying, I had hundreds of hours of praying underneath my belt. And it's not necessarily 
something that you hold against somebody, <laughs> somebody else or anything, right? But, right. It's um, not like cosmetology school where you have to get like the hundred hours of praying before you can really yeah. pray as a group. Right. <laughs> Professionally. Uh, no, I was, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I considered myself a watchman. So I was always at prayer meetings or like when we had, they have 24 seven prayer going on at the church. I was there leading worship or praying. So when I went into the IPHD, I went in heavy. So it wasn't like I was a baby and kind of getting into it. Right. I got in pretty quick. So 2006 okay. to 2013 ish. But right. I think probably I, sp- I gave a good 23 years of my life to the church. But like, Pentecostal, those six or seven years. Okay. You started out in a Baptist church. Was that how your parents were raised? No. So my grandfather got into church, I guess, when my dad was maybe in his upper 20s, mid 20s. I don't know exactly when my dad met my mom, but I knew it was just around the time when my dad met my mom. I'm the firstborn of my father. My mom had a daughter before me, my stepsister, obviously. My grandfather's Baptist, so my father just kind of glided in that direction. And then he started reading the Bible. He was really interested in the New Testament and speaking in tongues. And then the church told him, no, we're never going to do that, the Baptist church. And then that's when we left. And then that's when we started looking for a pastor or a church that we could relate to better or he could relate to better. Because at this time, I was probably like six or seven, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we found our pastor from, his name is uh, Pastor Chuck. I'm trying to remember his last name. It doesn't matter. So your father felt pretty strongly about speaking in tongues and baptism of the spirit. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted in a church. Yes, correct. And I did that ceremony where you become baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? where they baptize you in the water, and then they kind of teach you how to, it's kind of like a life lesson after that, kind of like how you learn to walk. You kind of learn to speak in tongues, right? And after you get baptized, that's when your growth can start. So that baptism is the water for the seed that the church has planted in you to grow. And uh, that's when you can start speaking in tongues, I guess, or is how it was put. And I think I have my baptism certificate somewhere. I think it's actually in storage. Wow. Um, they give you a certificate? But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my family's that's- still heavily into it. So my niece, who is 11, she got her certificate last year, I think. Yeah. She's 11. So she must have been 10 when she got it. Yeah. They, they make it official. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I guess so. Can you tell me a little bit about the lifestyle of the, I don't want to keep saying IPHC, but I don't want to make make it too general and say Pentecostal. If you could tell me about the lifestyle of your group, the the community, the services, that kind of thing. Well, I like your reluctancy to use that word is because really, and I'm going to answer your question. I'm sorry. It it really Mm -hmm. is so incredibly diverse. So there is definitely not one single way that people think is the right way to go. I mean, I had friends that were Pentecostal, but they were pretty much like Amish. Like the girls had to wear skirts. Right. Um, The guys had to be super proper and stuff. But I came from a more laid back area in the sense where we kind of wore whatever we wanted to. We would stay away from secular stuff. Absolutely no swearing or sexual into windows. Definitely no rap. Definitely a lot of racism involved. That kind of stuff. I remember getting my my little MP3 player taken away because I had Ludacris on there and something else. Oh. I was 14 or 15 and they took away my, my MP3 player and threw it away. So wow. 
Okay. So very but, serious uh, about the no secular music or was it sure. just specifically that music? It, that's another great question is because it was secular music, but there was a level. So maybe I could listen to something like Adele or something like that if that had been back there, but not mm-hmm. something like DMX or any type of heavy metal music, right. which I, I absolutely love. And it's so funny like, because so I, like top I 40, on, maybe very mainstream, but anything yeah. beyond oh, yeah. that. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So anything mainstream, like top 40, because they have to be clean to some extent. Right. And yeah. even my dad, my dad actually got me into classic rock, which is funny, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. Because I think my dad, because he didn't grow up Christian, he had an understanding of balance. It's okay to be a human and to love the things that Jesus created or the Lord created for all of us, even though they might not be using it for his intent, for the glory of God, I mean. But you have to focus on what you want. And these are just kind of little side things that you like to do, but your focus is the church. That's what you're going to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, oh, it makes total yeah. sense. And since he didn't grow up in the church, there was music that he that he liked, and he realized that there wasn't going to be a distraction. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, what was the community like? The leadership. You said there was a bishop in charge of conferences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is a conference a congregation? Are they the same thing? Is that a different? That's term a great for? question. Yeah. So okay. you'll have a conference. So we'll say the conference center in Prince George. And then out of that conference center, you have other churches. Like we had a crossroads in Petersburg, uh, Rock or ROC in Chester, one in Hopewell. They all have different names, Destiny Church. They have their own pastors. And what they do is they follow the leadership or the guidance of the bishop and how they want the church kind of run, how they handle their money, giving out. I think they have to pay a certain amount a month to be a part of the conference but they get resources from the conference. So the conference building is open, is available to them. So if they need to use it for teaching seminars or kids camps. Okay. Um, So it's several congregations can be in one conference. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That makes sense. So one conference would, would provide facilities and resources, maybe a camp, that sort of thing, like overall structures. And then there might be several congregations all using those resources. Mm-hmm. And somebody correct. in charge of that. Okay. Yes, correct. All right. In uh, in that conference, there's usually it's usually a small amount of people. It's like five or six people helping all the other churches, if that makes sense. So you have the bishop, mm-hmm. and then you might have uh, his assistant is usually a big resource, and then you've got somebody that's over ground, somebody that's over uh, communications, and mm-hmm. so on like that. Okay. So was there also a leadership over your church, your congregation? Yes. So obviously, like any other normal church, it's the pastor, right? Right. Or what we had was we had a pastor, but he considered himself an apostle, which they can just say whatever. So to be a pastor, I believe you do have to go through a very small amount of training. So the bishop of the conference knows that you're preaching the right things, but it's very Uh, minimal. The cool thing, and I still love Pastor Chuck to this day, is he's super intelligent and he's very cool. He's very kind and He doesn't really preach to you ever unless you specifically ask him, but he's absolutely loves like somebody who's like loves literature. That's who he is. He loves to study Greek and Aramaic or Hebrew and Aramaic. Sorry. It's fascinating to hear him deconstruct the actual writing and which is kind of what led me to where I am today. Because uh, I started noticing those inconsistencies. But, interesting. So. That's a very interesting topic. 
what sort of involvement do you have in the community on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis? So at ROC, when I was a part of that church, before I branched off into the sm- into our small little group where we did all the traveling and stuff, we would have Sunday mornings. They would have Sunday nights most of the time. I think Tuesdays and Fridays were our prayer nights. So I led the worship on those nights, Tuesdays and Fridays. Sorry. Right. Wednesday night was the mid church. So that's pretty typical in a Pentecostal is to have at least Sunday morning and Wednesday night services. Right. So we had those, but we also, our hangout spot as young adults was we would just go to the church because eventually we were, we were in leadership roles. So they just gave us keys. So we would just go hang out with our friends and hang out at the church. We would play cards. We would just play music. Maybe we would get bored and just go you know, watch a movie in the sanctuary. Like we watched Toy Story 4 once, or we would pray. We would just start a worship session. Okay. Um, so it was a lot of, it really was, a, it's a very unique experience, but I kind of want to say that I was pretty much in it every single day. I was either talking to somebody from the church, helping somebody from the church. Saturday mornings, we also had, are you familiar with uh, the food bank here in the States? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had food pantries. We live in low-income areas or we're very near low-income areas. Right. So we would have Saturday mornings dedicated to giving out food and same for Wednesday mornings. Wow. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but. So I'm hearing Tuesdays and Thursdays and Wednesdays and Sundays for services and Saturday for volunteer food bank projects. Yeah. Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings. Yeah. Wait, so you have Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Saturday morning, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So I was pretty, I was very involved. Not, not That's not for everybody, obviously, but right. I right. mean, no, most but... people were there for most of it, but yeah, I was there. Anytime those doors were open, for the most part, I was there at some point. How many people were in the congregation approximately? It wasn't a lot, maybe 90, maybe 100 or so. A lot of these congregations, like there's one in, I think it's South Carolina. They're a mega church in North and South Carolina. I wish I could remember their names. They had thousands. I mean, if not 10,000, I mean, huge. And so we did services for them as well. We did three different conferences. So we have a quincentennial or something like that. Every four years, we all get together on the East Coast and we have a service where we vote in a new bishop, keep the current bishop, go through leadership, have them speak, do worship sessions. We also have something that's called, are, are you familiar with uh, Acquire the Fire? No, I'm not. Just remind okay. me where you're from, where this took place. Virginia is where I'm at okay. mostly. And out, okay. just outside of Richmond is where I was. We have this big conference every year. It's called Accelerant Fire it's for teenagers, young adults and stuff like that. It's every year. And that's usually got six to 8,000 people with huge production teams. I mean, absolutely massive scale. So it'd be like if you went to a Lady Gaga concert or something like that, it would be that massive. It's a really, a really big crew that we got to work with. I used to love setting up the sound for them, building the speaker setups and everything. That's something we used to do. We had groups like a band called Leland. Sounds like a a great experience. It is. It really is. And, and that's what's so difficult about coming away from that is really just people who love each other. But right. you're lying right. to yourself so constantly about little things that you just kind of go down this path that it looks the same, but it's not. Right. And well, it's, it's not all bad, is it? There's a reason no. that people are in religious communities aside from yeah. belief. And I think a lot of it is the community. 
Yeah, it is. People that you know, your friends, the support system, people care if you're sick or something happens to you. Yeah. There's a thing that nobody really talks about. It's like when you know you're speaking to somebody, you know that you've got, the only way I can describe it is like a back support. Like you have support. You know when you're talking to somebody in the church, they're going to say something kind and loving or uplifting and constructive, like something that's going to be coming from God. Because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for, because God is your entire life or Yahweh, whatever. You know that when you're with people in that community, that they also believe the same things you do. So they're going to help you be a better person person. So iron sharpens iron. That was a big thing. And that's, yeah, that going off what you were saying is it's that community and that support, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking to somebody, you know, that they're not coming just from anywhere. You might have somebody that has some trauma that's trying to teach you something and then it's terrible for you. Being human is so difficult. And that gives you a really huge relief from that fear. And right. And when you have the same framework, you look at things the same way, the same structure of your, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're connecting dots that necessarily don't need to be connected, but it makes you feel better, more comfortable. It is what it is. As long as you're not bothering anybody else, but it does does a little bit. I do want to say, I don't have anything against the church, but I do feel like there is something very wrong. There's definitely a huge miss from the church. And I think, and I don't want to get in politics or anything, but what a hundred percent really pushed me was the previous administration we had here in the States. It was very clear where the church's priorities were, mostly just for themselves and not for the people. And the same with the pandemic going on. All of my friends still believe it's a hoax. They're doing all these other things to avoid taking the vaccine, vaccine which I, yeah. under- I understand like taking a vaccine can be scary, but this is a different level of delusion. It seems to be pretty common inside Pentecostal churches. Well, it's interesting that you went there because the previous person, when I interviewed a little while ago, the previous interview, he said the exact same thing. And it wasn't a Pentecostal mm. church. I was, oh, was interesting. He was saying the exact same things. I've heard other people express similar thoughts. Well, yeah. the book of Revelation talks about we get this idea that we're going to be persecuted in the future. And so I think they're on this ledge just waiting for it to happen and anything they see, they start to project. Right. And so they start seeing, is this, is this what this is? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so they think that's where you get all the mark of the beast stuff and they're putting a chip in me. Um, Do your research or, you know, I feel like the Lord is leading me not to do this. So I'm not going to wear a mask and continue to spread this virus that I'm positive for, but he'll protect them. And if he doesn't, they were predestined not to be protected. Would the pastor talk about politics during sermons? Was that a thing that happened? Or is this all just, I understand you left before 2016. So I, you can't speak to that specifically, probably. But was it just a thing that was known in the community, what your politics should be? Or was it just, it just happened to work that way because those were the beliefs? Or was this something expressed by the pastor, you know, just generally? There's no consistency for that answer. For me personally, my pastors didn't really talk a whole lot about politics. Obviously, if there was something like abortion or something super controversial, they'd bring it up. Right. But it was always... You're to respect leadership. It literally says in the Bible that anybody who's in a government is appointed by God. So he's there because God appointed them there, right? So we should respect them and honor them and all that stuff, which went all down the drain when President Obama was brought up in 
2012, which I still was very close with all my friends and stuff, but they all said he was the Antichrist. He was bringing socialism. So it's something that's not necessarily spoken about from the pastor to the congregation in a in a church sense. It's more like when everybody gets together later to talk, people more kind socially. of start talking politics. Yeah, okay. but I have seen a lot, seen dozens of churches and pastors speaking specifically about praising President Trump, denying presidency of Biden, and that we need to stand up for our rights as people. It gets really mucked, but that's where a lot of people in Pentecostal churches, not necessarily the IPHC, they might just be a person that just walking around reading the Bible and and he just got 100 people to come to a meeting, right? And so now he's a pastor and he just throws out thoughts left and right, but has no study, has never studied the word, has never studied Dead Sea Scrolls or anything. So it's super inconsistent just from what I've seen, if that answers right. your question. Right. No, no, it does. It's just interesting information. I've heard both answers. I think it just sort of depends on the church and yeah. So as far as your leadership and your day-to-day life, how involved did they get? You say you were there almost every day, right? Yeah. I've heard some people who were Pentecostal say that the leadership would get involved in major life decisions or that you should consult them if you wanted to change your job or move. Was yours like that at all or or not so much? Mine was not, but I did have cousin churches, if that makes sense, that weren't necessarily part of the IPHC, but were Pentecostal or non-denominational. And they were kind of like that. I guess I kind of went up there because I wanted their input. I went and talked about getting married. I went and talked about doing the prayer sessions. So I did two hour prayer sessions on those Tuesdays and Thursdays and sometimes Sunday nights. And like just getting general counsel, they would be there for me. I know they say they're there for everybody else, but I remember one time I had a struggle with night terrors and I had a night terror one time that was so vivid and it seemed very demonic or spiritual in a sense that I immediately woke up, called my pastor, Pastor Kevin, and I went directly to him. I mean, it was a 40 minute trip and I walked directly in there into his office and we sat down and talked about the whole thing and deconstructed it. So that was available to me. I don't know if everybody had that, but. That sounds but like you no. were very involved. So I could definitely yeah. see how they would make the time. So you said it seemed demonic. Was that a strong theme in your church that, that there could be such a thing as demonic influence and like you could be possessed by demons and they would need to be driven out? Oh yeah, for sure. hundred percent. Everything is spiritual. Everything's a spiritual battle. Everything you say, like I said before, was like either for the glory of God or for glory of Satan, I guess. But oh, for sure. I mean, spiritual warfare is a big thing. There's that Psalm or maybe it was Solomon that said, the enemy is waiting for you to be in a point of vulnerability to attack you. Like he's waiting to attack you. So you have to be prepared. And I guess a part of that spiritual warfare comes from those kind of verses where they think that angels are flying around and protecting us while we're having services. Mm -hmm. I've even heard things where like, if you drive the speed limit, the angels are following you and protecting you. But as soon as you pass that speed limit, you're passing them. Does that make sense? It's a little silly, but I've heard a lot of stuff like that. It's very real. So they believe the spiritual and physical reality is, yeah, the physical realm are living symbiotically. So together, but we just can't physically see them, but we can feel them Mm -hmm. spiritually in our heart. Sometimes they would manifest like in that dream I had, which I still can't. I haven't talked to my therapist about that dream because I haven't thought about it in years. Really real. And when you don't have the understanding of night terrors and how your brain works, you could really see that as because what it was, and I'll just be real quick, is I felt like I was floating. And then it looked like my room, like when there's a pool, when you see reflections, but it was red. So it looked like maybe there was a pool of lava that was being reflected into my whole room. Right. And 
when I leaned over, it felt like tons of massage like chairs or something like kind of pushing me like it was super vibrating. And then I rolled back over and there was just this figure, no face, but it reflected lava like hell, I guess he would say. And right. he put his hand on my stomach and he said, yeah, that's right. I can touch you. And, oh, gosh. And yeah, it's pretty terrifying, right? <laughs> oh, For a young- wow. Wow. For a young 18 yeah. year old male. Um, that was, I was homeschooled for a, a good portion of my life. I was in Christian schools. So right. I don't have a lot of real world experience. And that's when I went to go talk to my pastor about that. But oh. when they're constantly talking to you about oh, spiritual gosh. warfare and all that stuff, it can get to you. Man, I had night terrors for years. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. That would be terrifying, especially if you literally believe demons and angels are at war all around you and they're real, very real. And you have a dream where you're basically kind of like in hell sort yeah. of, and a demon is like touching you like that. Horrible. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And, and yeah. I think and it's like a thing where I was saying, like, I didn't have real world experience. So I didn't understand how the brain worked, but I think what it was, was, and, and I'm just speculating, but I think I'm pretty close to the nail is I felt I felt I didn't I felt vulnerable. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but I definitely wasn't being a good Christian. So I was doing things that were making me feel like I wasn't a strong Christian. So I think that was my conscience eating away at me. And my Mm -hmm. conscience had built this thing that if you don't do the right things, you're going to go to hell. And it's it's going to suck. It's going to be real bad. So I'm going to let you know that there's a demon that can touch you now because you can't do those things. Right. Does that make sense to try to get me? Sure. Sure, you have this cognitive dissonance going on and you you have to resolve it. And if you're just pushing it down and pushing it down, this is your worldview. And this is what you're doing, which is fearing from that. Your mind has to reconcile that. Yeah. And it was rough. I know I had at least eight other experiences similar to that. They've slowed down since I've stopped taking. I used to be on Adderall in high school and I think Mm -hmm. I was sleeping on that. So I was having sleep paralysis. So that REM Um, cycle, when you get stuck in there, like you can just dream, but your body is completely frozen. Yeah. So you're kind of awake, but asleep. And it was really real because I thought I was going through a spiritual battle. I had done something wrong and the demon that was assigned to haunt me or whatever, to keep me from being a good Christian or doing my Christian duty was coming to get me in that moment because I was at a place of vulnerability because I had opened myself up. I had done something wrong and opened myself up to be attacked. And I think once I stopped taking that Adderall and sleeping well, and then I got out of that mindset, I haven't had one since. Which is great. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> it sounds really anxiety producing. It would be extremely just I mean, I think it does not think about that. I think a lot of the Pentecostal, their whole thing is like it builds anxiety because you're not right. sure when the Antichrist is coming. You don't know if you've done something wrong. So you could feel bad for literally anything because that's how the human body works. But we think we've given that all to God and God controls literally everything about us. Right. Or we think we give it up. So like it's and you don't realize it because you've never learned those things. Like you've never learned how the brain functions. You've never gone to a therapist or you know, actually talked about something because that's you talk to God about your problems and he fixes them for you. Is, right. is how it was told to me. So right. like you didn't so, even go to the hospital for the most part or not the hospital. You didn't go to the doctor very often because God would heal those things for you. Okay. So was it a belief 
that if you had an illness, it was a sign that you had spiritual work to do, like an illness was a manifestation of a lack of faith, or that you had the some sort of spiritual problem more than a physical right. problem. Man, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes and no. So you know the uh, story of Job. Yeah, sure, of uh, course. Yeah, that's where it all comes from. You're being tested. So if you do get sick or something like that, you're just being tested, your faith is being tested, and you got to overcome it. And because yeah. human bodies, that's what they naturally do, you put this thing together where correlation is, is causation, mm-hmm. right? Because you got over it, the Lord healed you, you did your faith battle, you won. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's how it was. Yeah. And the big thing for me was, and I'm still dealing with it today, is Lyme disease. I had Lyme disease when I was little. I had a tick right here on my chest, and I remember pulling it off and it hurt. And then I had this huge spot. I mean, just everywhere, pink spot, almost up to my neck and all the way down here. We started praying for it. And I went to a doctor. Lyme disease is easy to treat, right? So he's just like, all right, here, take this. And so my parents didn't think it did anything or that he really cared. So I remember going to a conference in South Carolina to see this guy. This is when I was probably 12 or 13. And while I was there, there was gold dust that fell from the sky. They had an all-night service. People had oils coming from their hands or from their heads or something. It was just weird. But anyways, that's when okay. my I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's a whole different topic. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. It is. It's very delusional, so, but it is fascinating to talk about. So <laughs> for did you, sure. I love time. Did you take the medicine? I did. and But here's the thing is because it started going down and it went away, I stopped taking the medicine the halfway through. But the thing is, is what we didn't realize was it was because medicine was working. We thought because God had healed me, I still have a pink spot on my chest from it. It's still dormant in me and will be forever. I'll always have that problem. And it could come with other issues in the future. I have no clue because there's no way of getting rid of it now because it's my girlfriend is a fourth year medical student. She's told me about it. She's actually a little worried about it because my niece also got Lyme disease, but she had it for a year and a half before they found out. The reason why that is, is because she had pains in her leg and they thought she was being just overdramatic, which she is. She's a nine-year-old head or she was seven-year-old redhead at the time. And so, but her leg would hurt. She would scream at the top of her lungs. And so they took her to all these doctors Come to find out she had a tick and it just had deposited whatever it needed to in a certain, but they got rid of it, but they didn't continue the medication just right, like for me. Right. And it, it's that thing. A big thing is correlation is causation for Christianity mm-hmm. is what I found because they found out what the problem was and they saw it go away. It's done. Right. Yeah. But that was a long answer. Short answer is yes. When you have a sickness or an illness, it's a test of faith or it's if it leads to death, that's it was designed for the Lord to take you home. It was your time. Does that make sense? Right. So to, if yeah, you happen to get sense. stage three cancer as a child or whatever, two-year-old infant or something, that was just the Lord taking you home. That was the best situation for you, I guess. And it comes from that verse where Jesus said about Judas, he was like, it would have been better if that man had never been born. And so I've heard a lot of people say, you know, maybe that was the best option for them. Maybe they would have had a really bad life and the Lord took them away knowing that if they would have lived, they would have just gone to hell. It makes you wonder what would your pastor have said about some natural disaster where thousands of people are killed, men, women, children. Is that just part of God's plan? Correct. So a lot of times what ends up happening is because we live on a big freaking planet, right? 
So that's where I think we just keep this with the pandemic, if if that's okay with you. Yeah, um, totally fine. Um, that was an obvious example. I was trying to come <laughs> up with what you would think it would be like COVID, but right. no, I come up with a tsunami in my mind. But okay. Oh yeah, uh, same thing. What it was is it's that thing where we live on a big planet. So with the pandemic, it's understandable where people won't believe it. I heard this pastor who I'm still great friends with and I work with. He said he knows more people in Norfolk, Virginia. It's over there near the beach, but he has never known anybody who's gotten COVID in his, I guess this was late last year's when he posted this, or he said this to me and he was like, so then how are millions of people dying? And that's because we live in this small knit community. We're not branching out and seeing how massive this planet really is. And so to answer your question, when something like that happens, because it's not happening directly to to the pastor or to their congregation, it's easy for them to say that those are people that were either evil people, they were never going to go to heaven, they were never going to accept Jesus anyways, so there's no point, so just get them off the planet. Terrible as that sounds, that I remember specifically from September 11th, because I remember asking about that. I was like, what about those people in the plane? Did God not care about them? I was told from my parents that he did care about them. And the Christians that might've been on the plane, because later found out that there were Christians on the plane, died really quick deaths. Maybe they took the fall for somebody else. But for the most part, it's people that were never going to accept Jesus anyways. So there's that callous coldness because they're not near anybody. You know, they don't know those people. It's so distant. It's easy to say that stuff. Right. So they sort of, I hate to say had it coming, but that's kind of the mentality. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not being led by the spirit. The Council of Nicaea that developed the Holy Bible. So it's what we use in the IPHC, the standard Bible. They were all led by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus died, the Holy Spirit was introduced in the heaven. The what's it called was torn in the temple. That that veil that separated the high priest area from the Holy of Holies to the regular people. So the Holy Spirit could be with us now. And that's where Pentecost came from. And that's where the Council of Nicaea, that's why they were able to create the scripture as we see it today. So if you're not being led by the spirit or by Jesus, you could easily be distracted by the enemy is what they said. They never really said Satan or devil. They would sometimes, but it was mostly just the term, the enemy is what they used. And that's where, that's where that, yeah. Then that's where that contempt comes from is because they don't know what to talk about. They didn't create the planet. I can't help but ask Mm -hmm. you about the oil. I think my mind is stuck on that, on oil coming out Uh of people's hands and foreheads. I don't want to get too off track, but is that something you yourself have witnessed that oil coming out of people's? Yeah. So I can't explain it. I don't know what happened, but I can only my recounts. Uh, So we used to go to, if you want to write these names down, you can definitely still find them. This pastor, he has a church in Pensacola, Florida. His name is Christian Harfouche and his wife, Robin. Mm -hmm. We used to go to their services all the time and they would talk about either like a red cross in their hand or Um, oil. Like a stigmata, I guess. Exactly. Or gold dust or would just start flowing from the sky, kind of start appearing. And angel feathers would just start appearing on the floor or in the air and then yeah like oils would come out of their heads healing oils i'll get there in a second yeah something we also saw a lot of was if you took a camera and you saw these little spots they were angels right that's what we were told i am now a professional photographer i've been doing this for 15 years i've been doing photography and i can tell you it's dust on the lens is what we saw but because it wasn't consistent enough and it only happened sometimes which is true because you can only see the dust when it's bright or if the sun is reflecting a lens
hands, but those circles are not angels. And my dad used to say that they were, he would pick up dove feathers and think they were angel feathers. But I think what it was, was just people were just kind of gross, right? So these pastors where it happened with, for the most part, were kind of big, chunky guys. They probably didn't eat very healthy. And I think that's that oil. I so can't you think they were just working themselves into a workout and you're just sweating out some. So I don't, okay. I don't know. It, have you ever had an argument with somebody and you just get really heated and mad and just are almost sweating, just right. really hot? So that's what these pastors will do. They'll get super emotional. I think Braveheart or Mel Gibson, The Patriot, right, right. You know, any of those movies where they get super worked up. And so they're walking across the stage with hundreds of people. So it's not cold in there. They're wearing suits because they have to impress everybody. Right. So they get hot and sweaty. I think that's where I don't think they're intentionally putting oils on themselves to deceive people. They could easily be doing it, but they would claim the the oils would come out of their hands, like out of the center of their palms because the nails of Christ. And then they would do this thing where they would line everybody up in the entire building and they would just put their hands on everybody and pray and people would pass out speaking in tongues and be out for hours and just laying on the floor, getting their healing. Right. Uh, Gold dust falling from the ceiling. It looked like it came from the ceiling, but I I want you to picture kind of like if you ever saw the Harry Potter movie where in the Great Hall, they had that fake ceiling. So if you think of like, that's where heaven is. And people would claim sometimes to see clouds and see parts of heaven because that's what you want. That's the end result is to bring heaven and earth into one. And that's what Jesus does in the end of days. But they start ushering that in, that spiritual realm in, and then dust would just start appearing. Who knows? It might've just been... I had no clue. It wasn't important enough to me to think about. Right, um, right. It no, is it's just fascinating. It's- that's the reason I asked because it is this sort of phenomenon is fascinating to me. These things that people witness and help to confirm belief that we just don't know the answers to. Or maybe we do. It could be fake. It could be a psychological phenomenon of like a mass frenzy. People are perceiving something. I don't know. It, that's I mean, true. Yeah. And, may, and may, I'm anything. open to the idea that maybe, maybe it's real. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another thing that makes it difficult is, I mean, I'm not trying to be super naive. I think science, and I've always thought this is science is secular man's way of discovering who God is. So maybe we are all a part of God and science is just our way of studying that. And I've always thought that science and God were not mutually exclusive. So maybe it could have been some type of phenomenon that he did. I don't know. Yeah. But no, see, the I, thing is, is like they use that as the foundation of their beliefs or to, to, con- to, to really confirm. To confirm. Yeah. And so it makes it worse because it's not, it might be true. But it's not true to what they're thinking is happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's no, again, it it's one of those correlation is causation without actually giving it critical thought. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So tell me what led you out of the church. It sounds like you had a tight knit community that you were heavily involved. What changed that? So I was discovering as a young man that I was pretty unhappy. I think I felt like a failure as a human being. And I have very bad ADHD. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. couldn't tell, but. I was taking Adderall and I felt like I was cheating. I actually could not tell. You had told me before. (laughs) Now, I'm not taking anything now, even though I probably should be. That's a different topic. But I remember feeling like, man, I feel like I'm cheating. I'm taking this medication and it helps me stay up. I get work done. I don't know then that what I'm doing, I'm actually doing what I was created to do as a human being. I'm being on par with other humans when I take that medication because I have that disability. Right. But because of my Christian thinking and my Southern background, I think I'm cheating. I'm being lazy and I need to learn to overcome it. Wow. Um, 
so I kind of had that subconsciously. I was living with my best friends who was part of that group that we were in. I started to go to school. I loved film. I loved doing photography. So I went to school called Full Sail. I had um, a so friend started, who attended. I loved it. I had, it was amazing. It, it wasn't amazing at first because I was doing the online course. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend at the time, I was hired to go down to a major conference in Orlando for the IPHC. They hold this kind of like talent competition for all the youth groups in the entire IPHC. And whoever wins gets a scholarship to their school. Emanuel College, I think is what it's called. Okay. They're pretty big. They went a full ride there. Oh. So thousands and thousands of kids there. I'm hired to go there to do the photography. I take my girlfriend as my assistant and I assist and I end up assisting on a lot of the video rigs and following and the pastor around and running the monitors in the back. And while I'm there, I told my girlfriend, I was like, hey, why don't we go over to my school and just look at it? This is probably the only chance I'm ever going to get because we live 13 hours away. Right. I barely make $14 an hour or something. 90% of my time is a part of the church. So, you know, it's kind of difficult. And uh, so we went to the school and I was like, man, I'm missing out. I need to transition. I need to come here. I felt it so strongly. I thought it was the Lord telling me, but I knew it was my inner monologue. You need right. to do this grab into it. And so I did. On the way home, we started coming up with ideas of how we were going to find that apartment, how we were going to move, how we we're going to transition. Yeah. And so we finally made it happen. I started going to school and I realized how far behind I am emotionally in a maturity sense with a lot of my peers, accepting things and understanding things. I was very slow because I didn't have to do any of this stuff. It's just about natural things. So like talking to my friends. And so a lot of these things started clicking to me. I was like, man, I'm really having a hard time. But I was still part of the church. I was still thinking about it, but we weren't going to church. I noticed there was a part of me that didn't want to wake up on Sundays and go to church, even though she did. And then eventually she got away from that. And I'm trying to make this as short as I can, but a few years later, I have to drop out of full sale. I did finish eventually, but I was becoming too expensive. And right. I remember my wife at the time, she had separated her spine when she was younger. So she had a lot of back problems. Right. We didn't have medical insurance. She was the only one really working really difficult for us, but we ended up getting some medical grade marijuana, which mm -hmm. I've always thought is the absolute epitome of demonic. There's this line in the New Testament that says, the only way to God is through me, through Jesus, right? The only right. way to the Father is through him. Something about the enemy will try to take the back door to get in. So a lot of pastors used the fact that using drugs and drinking alcohol. That's why right. when you see Pentecost, they seem like they're drunk. They're not as drunk as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those mm -hmm. are the demon ways of, like the back door ways of getting into heaven, if that kind of makes sense. They're the wrong ways to go there. And so it's very demonic. So it was viewed as a way for the demons to gain a foothold over you, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect okay. way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So again, exactly what you just said. And when I said earlier about Satan or the enemy is waiting for you to slip up, they're just waiting for you. And they're going to grab you as soon as they do. Oh. I remember <laughs> smoking it with my wife because she didn't want to do it alone. She didn't know how to do it, but she was in so much pain. And I remember smoking it and I was like... I just felt good. I felt happy. I felt relaxed. I didn't feel so anxious about everything. Right. And then I remember it wasn't like night or day. It was a very slow transition. I just started realizing this is not as bad as people have always put this out, especially members of Congress and all the laws that we have on it. They don't even make sense to me anymore at this point. I don't understand it. There are so many benefits. I can function as a human being because all it does is it just slows you down. You just become kind of dumb a little bit. And marijuana was 
literally the key that really started opening the door for me when I started realizing that there might not be something wrong with the religion, but there's definitely something wrong with the teachings that are being put into us. And then I saw this documentary. I'm not going to name it because I don't want to get off topic, but it was on Netflix and it was talking about how Sky Colton was using Christian faith. So it's Jesus plus nothing else is how they use it in politics. And you just talk about Jesus and that's it. And then that's how they get their way into these other countries to do things for them and stuff like that. And that's been going on since the 70s. And I've been kind of seeing that almost like a brainwashing. Jesus plus nothing. And that's how my whole life was, was Jesus plus nothing else. You're not supposed to leave anything else for yourself. So as a man of God, you're to do everything for him. And you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church, take care of your family, and that's it. Nothing else. And you let the leadership do what they do and you support them. Right. Everything for the kingdom is what you said. Right, exactly. Exactly. But that train of thought started really messing with me before I necessarily got to that point. So we're going to say probably 2015. So this was pretty recent. I got to a point where I was so, but I still had that thing that I could talk to myself and make myself believe anything. She didn't want to smoke weed anymore because she didn't like it. And we didn't, honestly, we just didn't have money. Yeah. I started getting super unhappy again and I just wanted to die. I remember one day I was like, I just want to kill myself. I'm done. Right. And I was, you know, I'm just going to try to experience life as it is and nothing else. I just want to experience it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then I'm just going to kill myself. And I did. I had an affair, this really crazy relationship with this woman that was incredible. It was very intense, but it wasn't real. It was a lie. Right. And I genuinely believe that I was able to commit those acts because of what I've learned in the church, that subconscious behavior of just telling yourself it's okay. I'm just going to kill myself in a couple months anyways. I just want to experience life for the first time. And then it all fell apart. And then I did have an attempt on my life. Again, this is recent 2017 is when it uh, finally happened. After that, I was like, I need to get myself back in the work. So I do web development, back in architecture. Then it was just front end development. But I was dove into work. I was like, I need to get myself straight, but I need to just get into work and just consume myself with that for right now and just slowly build back up as a human being. And I didn't want anybody to be a part of that. It was just me, just David Paul. I don't want any leadership unless I want to ask them something specific. I don't want my freaking family. I don't want the church. I don't God's involved. I still pray from time to time just to kind of give myself comfort. But I remember thinking, why did I want to kill myself? I remember asking myself questions for the first time. And I think that's a big thing I wanted to get out here with you. And I hope somebody hears this is you have to ask questions of why you do things for what purpose. I was always doing things for the glory of God. I was never doing anything to make myself happy because God makes me happy. How do you be happy is you do the things you go to church, you, you bring people to Christ, you bring heaven to earth, you go to heaven. That's eternal life. That's what matters. Not life here. Eternal life is what matters. I'm really sorry you went through that. It was difficult. It definitely was self-involved. It's not all on the church. It's it's who I am too. I was just kind of like a shitty person. And I didn't get those tools when I was a kid to overcome that, if that makes sense. So when you're a kid, you learn to accept people for how they are and mm-hmm. to ask yourself, why do you feel mad right now? Why do you feel angry? And those things were not taught to me. I was told I was angry because the devil was working me up. I needed to calm down, let the Lord right. take over and know that he's got it under control. Right. So the tools, the emotional tools that normal people have, I didn't have. I have control in the sense that I can stop, understand that I'm letting the enemy get to me and I need to stop. But those are literally only words that are said, like nothing else. Like I'm not paraphrasing or anything. Like that's Mm -hmm. all that said to me. So how is an eight-year-old or six-year-old supposed to take something like that and, Mm. and learn to be a decent human being? It's very difficult. 
Yeah, and, it's um, sort of emotionally invalidating anyway. Yeah. But I am sorry that you went, but it sounds like you got to a place where you wanted to take control of yourself and work on yourself and right. see what happened. Is Am I getting that correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're hitting the uh, hammer on the head here. I wasn't doing web development full time at the time. So I literally just dove into, I bought some books. I wanted to make myself better. I wanted to become successful for the first time in my entire life. I wanted just a small apartment, just myself. I wanted a dog and just to live like a bachelor on my own, have friends go out drinking, to go out and eat whenever I want to just have a life. And right. from that small thought process really blossomed into a lot. Before I just wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a nice house, a nice car, but that was it. But mm -hmm. I didn't have a vision for my life. So I wanted to be successful in a career, but I didn't want my career to be my life. And it's really difficult because Christianity was kind of a career and it was my life. From yeah. a, it's hard to separate those things now, or it was, it's not so much anymore. I can't let my work life consume me. I only have a work life to finance my personal life. And that's what I do now. That's how I think. And that's what got me there. And after my incident, in 2017, that's when I knew I was never going to go back to the church. I wanted to get help with my brain, getting my thoughts in order, but I was still struggling. It's a really hard transition. And I got into a car accident and that small little thing just ruined me, right? Because I didn't know how to handle anything else. And my neck, I had six herniated discs in my neck, uh, like four in my lower back. So I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know how to handle that, handle my finances. Yes, yeah, so I had to move back up with family. I had to go stay with my mom in the middle of nowhere with her boyfriend, which I hated. He was so miserable. So after my car accident, I went and stayed with my best friend. I ended up meeting this girl. She's going to school out here in Virginia Tech. And that's where my life finally started coming together. I love her to death and I'm still finding balance. I have health insurance for the first time. So I'm, I'm seeing somebody about my depression. I'm, Good. We're doing steps. So we did the depression first, which is crazy. I was still super depressed. I didn't realize that. I didn't understand brain chemistry, right. like this bad chemical mixture in my head that's messed up. It's okay. That's just how my head is. And it's right. an easy fix. I just have to take this medication and then also see a therapist because I can pull away from these bad habits that I've created. You were saying at one point that I don't know if this was before the podcast that there's like a big stigma on mental health that you grew no, up with. So you never dealt with that before. No, again, it was the enemy attacking right. you. And you were lazy if you weren't coming out with that. If you were depressed, it was because there was something the Lord was nagging you about and you had to figure out what that was, something that was wrong in your life. You need and to figure out what that was. And that's obviously not a real solution for no, mental health issues. You need to see a professional someone qualified to, yeah. to treat that. Yeah, exactly. And I think with the way that there's so many people I was mentioning before, and with this large amount of people, we're starting to discover as human beings and the human race, what is decent and what is not. So what is healthy and what is not. And we're right. seeing that there's a lot of these patterns, the way you think is very unhealthy. And you can just change it with a little bit of medication. It helps balance that imbalance. And you stop thinking like, I remember I went to the doctor and I wanted to go for depression, but I really wanted to get back on Adderall because I was struggling with work. And he just asked me a questionnaire. And every day I would think to myself, you know, it's like, man, I just wish I was never born because I'm struggling. And so I so filled he, out his questionnaire. Okay, So he went through it and he was like, I just want you to know after I read this, I almost called somebody in here to take you to the hospital. I was oh like, why? God. I'm not even thinking I need to be there for depression. Maybe just a a little bit of help, but he was like, yeah, dude, do you really want to die every day? And I, was, I had thought about it for the first time again, because I wasn't thinking about stuff before. Like I wasn't giving critical thought. And I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of do, but I don't 
want to because I have days where when I am happy and I see that and, I, and that's what I want and that's what I'm here for. And it was like, okay, well, it's like, all right, after our conversation, I'm not going to call anybody in. I'm, I'm not going to admit you, but we're going to start on this medication. Mm-hmm. And we started on it and it took a month or two, but then I started noticing just a, a consistency, right? So I'm not always to like, I would have days where I was low, some days where I was great, some parts of the days when I was low, some parts of the days when I was great. I just thought that was normal right. because again, they don't teach you these things and Right. And, and you, for you, that was normal. It sounds like you experience passive suicide ideation like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, exactly that was right. just life. I didn't even know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't know it was a bad thing. I just thought it was something I came up as a man. I understood that my life wasn't going to work well. This is probably going to be the best idea for me. Right. We finally tackled that. And uh, I've been feeling great. I mean, it, it's been another step in my process of of deconstructing. So I had to go through lying, through a divorce, through, I know I ruined our lives. Like I, f- I still feel bad to it to this day is the things that I did, but I had to go through suicide attempts and a car accident. I lost uh, my career at one point. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's worth it in the end to finally be healthy and to be able to control who I am as a human being. I, I skipped over a lot, but I could talk about this for days. I, there's just so much that's it's really messed up and it's really an unhealthy thought process for a lot of the Pentecostal church, especially the IPHC. And I still see it in my friends today. It's this unhealthy hate for people that believe the pandemic is real, don't support Trump and think that Biden is some pedophilic idiot because he has a stutter problem. And I work right now part-time at a hospital. So mm-hmm. it's very frustrating for me. I see people with COVID, even still today, there's still a few patients in there that are that are going to die. We hear all day of these beeps. It's the machines going off saying this person does not have enough oxygen. And there's no way of turning that off other than killing the person or unplugging the machine. And right. there's nothing we can do. They're just slowly going to die. And they're begging for oxygen. They're begging for the vaccine. But there's nothing we can do for them at this point. And it's that callousness that the church has is what really kind of pushed me but into who I am. I just find it very sad that most of the people who are ending up in the hospital and dying at this point from the last I've heard are people who did not get the vaccine. It just strikes me as right. really tragic to die of a disease that preventable walk into a drugstore and get a free vaccine. We don't see, I haven't personally, and my girlfriend hasn't seen anybody. I'm sure it has happened, but nobody that's had the vaccine that has contracted COVID has been admitted to the ICU, let alone died from the virus. But it is possible. I think Colin Powell passed away from the virus, but he was also like 80 something years old and struggling with other things. Yeah, he had cancer also. That too. So, and and that brings me to another point is that black and white thinking, things are very difficult. Being a human is is not black and white on the subject of homosexuality. And that's another thing that really pushed me over was one of my best friends who knew he was gay. When I met him, we moved in together. We were roommates. He was a great human freaking being. Like I freaking love that dude. And I remember the absolute hate and disgust the church has for homosexuality. But being a human is not black and white. What we're discovering now in science, the genes are not exactly male and female. Sometimes they are mixed right there in the middle. And that's why you get people who are transgender or bisexual and stuff. And it's very difficult to have yeah, that type of mentality and accept people dying from the virus because yeah. they say that it's it's only because he was old. I'm young. I don't have any health problems, even though I've never been to a doctor because half these kids that I hang out with are young adults. They haven't been to a doctor in six years. They don't know if they're healthy, but they claim they are. I well, had this I mean, conversation. They, they probably they probably are. Most young people yeah. are healthy, but it doesn't mean that mm. you shouldn't take 
precautions. Exactly. The only people who are really freaking out about the virus, people that hate the vaccine or being told to wear masks. There's a small fear of getting it, like getting the flu. I don't want to get the flu or tuberculosis, but I'm not going to mm -hmm. let my life get controlled by that. And right. I had a, I had a text message from my dad a few weeks ago, and I, I kind of went off on him because it was something. He's a QAnon supporter, and so are some of my other family oh, members. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And they were sending me these things about that's going to happen and something about the virus. And I was just like, dude, people are dying from this virus. If you want to come with me to the hospital, I'll walk you through the ICU and show you these people that God loves and created that are dying from a preventable virus because because of this nonsense or this delusion. Please stop sending me this stuff. Do not do it anymore. I'm done. He's been respectful and he hasn't sent me anything since, but I know that a lot of them believe in this stuff and it's, it's intense. It's separated my family. My older sister, we used to be really tight. When I moved to Florida, she moved to Florida. I mean, she lived home, mm -hmm. so it's like an hour and a half away, but we are very close. I know my, my niece and I were very close, but then my brother-in-law got into the whole InfoWars thing. So again, I, I know this sounds oh. like it's off. Wow. It's not. Okay. Yeah. So it's that that line of thinking that you get from the church that doesn't give you critical thinking and you get that that correlation and causation together, right? So I remember him telling me the Parkland shootings weren't real and all this other stuff. And then that's when I was like, okay, it's time to turn off. I'm not listening. But then it grew into, I remember him asking me, he was like, yeah, when the virus first started, he was like, have you met anybody even with the virus? Because I brought it up. I was like, yeah, my friend Amethyst in Missouri, she's had it twice. And then they had to open up Virginia sign on their truck because that's when everything was closed to the pandemic. But then my sister started getting into this thinking like 5G was, was harmful. She had a friend that got a headache from it or something. And I was like, man, that's that's silly nonsense. And they think that President Trump was the best thing that's ever happened in this country and that we should love and respect him. But they talk sh absolute mad crap about President Biden, which doesn't make sense. And I'm not saying President Biden's a great president or not. I've never really been in politics, but I can now judge a person pretty fairly when I when I can see President Trump, who has a long list of running over people and ruining lives, that he's probably not a great person. And Biden, where he puts on a persona where he's a good person, he might not be, but I'm not naive enough to say that he's a great human being, you know, or a great leader. I don't know. That's just not my area. I don't focus on that stuff, but but they have been. And again, I know that sounds off topic, but that really is coming from that church is that type of thinking is we're not critically thinking and caring about other people. We're waiting for a pandemic to hit and then one world government, which is funny because that's what they're trying to do with one world religion now in America. They're just pushing off aside human beings. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? It's kind of us versus them thinking. Yeah, correct. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's oh hard. Goodness. And so I'm not close to that. I don't talk to her anymore. She's been trying to get with me. I feel bad, but I just, I don't want to go. Cause it's when I sit there, it's just super awkward tiptoeing yeah. around conversations, just waiting for yeah. something to be brought up. Cause it inevitably does. Cause that's what they're kind of waiting for. I understand yeah, it's, it's hard. It's like you spend the whole time trying to avoid those sorts of conversations and yeah. it's a project in and of itself, just the avoidance. And, and yeah. like, we want to vent about the pandemic. Like we hate the pandemic. I hate wearing masks. I don't want this to be a thing, but I can't vent about that to them because then they're going to be like, oh yeah, well, it's not real. We don't wear masks. Anyways, 
because it's not real. Yeah. They don't believe in being asymptomatic, I guess, anything, which is weird because my sister used to be an EMT. She was uh, an intermediate. So she wasn't a paramedic. She was right in between. So she does right. have some medical knowledge. But. It's really tough. And that sort of family divide. It is interesting how there's a large religious community who are QAnon supporters and are anti-vaxxers. For people who want to prevent COVID, it's not like any of us enjoy wearing masks. I know, right? Like, like, you know, I mean, but- With glasses. But, like it's so difficult because right, they're always fogging. You <clears throat> do it because you want to protect yourself and protect others. There is a very small risk that you inherit when you take a vaccine, right? But that risk is so much greater, 100,000 times greater by not getting it and not wearing a mask to other people around you because you can carry the virus with you, <clears throat> excuse me, with you, not have any symptoms ever, but still passing it around. Right, so it's such right. a small thing to do for other people. You know? And it protects you as well. If once you have the vaccine, it's less important, but there's still... Yeah, and you would think that's, that's a found of Christianity is, is loving your neighbor. It sounds like you have some family divides to deal with. That's a thing I hear among yeah. people leaving their faith, which is understandable having to navigate those differences. Have you been able to keep it off religion? Or are they okay with where you're at right now? Do they know? I don't know. That's a good question because we don't really talk about it. I assume they judge me. I know my sister does because my older sister, because I've heard her say stuff to my nieces that were completely inappropriate. Like when we moved here in Virginia Tech, my girlfriend was already living here. She can't move because she's in college and she's in a rotation. She can't just leave. Right. So we moved here and she makes little comments. She came up here. She's like, whose place is this? And it kind of threw me under the bus. She was like, this is Mary Ann's, even though I've been living here for two years. That's not you know. nice. Yeah, I, I know, right? And I know that's a little irrelevant, but it's a lot of small things like that that she says. And so my dad, that's that's how a lot of IPHC, a lot of Southern families grow up like that. They make really small comments, but right. they're significant enough to a child that now she's got this idea that I'm just living with my girlfriend because I'm a failure, because I'm not a Christian, and because I swear, because I do that. Oh, and they think I'm gay, for sure, 100%. Or they you're, did you're it living some with point. You're living with a woman who you call your girlfriend, though. And I was married for right. years. The whole thing is, is like, I'm always dating women. But because I've lived with a gay man for a year and they didn't see me in a long-term relationship, they just assume. It's really sad to see the hate and it becomes weirder every year for me to see the hate and disdain for homosexuality. It makes less and less sense every year. Wish I could put myself in their shoes and talk with people more, but it just becomes sillier and sillier. Why does it matter to you what another right. human being is doing? Right. It's like, okay, yeah. So what if I am gay? Yeah. So I what if care. I were? So I wish I was. Sometimes <laughs> it's so weird. Sounds like you've been yeah. through a lot, a difficult time, but I'm glad you're getting treatment for your mental health. You know, you're moving forward. Yeah, I am. I'm finding the balance. So like I mentioned earlier when we, when we first started is I don't have anything against the church or the religion as a whole, but I think there's a balance. So it, I'm finally starting for the first time in my life, applying these concepts in the Bible as a human being rather than as a, a strict Christian per se. So a lot of these teachings about loving people, so like loving people who are, even if they choose to sleep with other men or women, or if they might be transgender, they don't know what their sexual preferences, it doesn't matter. I still love that person and I helped them. With the pandemic, I could have easily had said, this is stupid. They're being over cautious. 
but I get it. Like I want other people to be okay too, because they're just human beings trying to live their lives. They don't right. need to be controlled by indoctrination. I'm applying a lot of that to my life now, and it's it's very beneficial. And my girlfriend is, is a great source because even though it, it's funny, because I've finally gotten out of the church, and now I have this girlfriend who's at church all the time. She goes to Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, or, I'm sorry, she's a Catholic, but it really does help her. Like she just feels better when she goes. She never preaches to anybody. She never talks to anybody about her religion. Almost ever it has to be brought up by somebody else. But it does. She's just a unique person in that sense and it's really cool to see somebody like that and it helps me uh, right. balance those those and parables you, maybe in the bible and stuff like that and you don't have to judge her because she believes differently than how you grew up in the system that you right. grew up in you could just yeah. accept her and her beliefs right yeah so it's funny because we talk about this all the time but as a christian we don't think as catholics as christian especially in the ipac because the worship the way they do things are so backwards than what they are in the new testament that we don't see them as and because I didn't realize this until I started dating her that Catholics have a different Bible. They have other books in the Bible that we didn't have. Other things I've never read it. I would love to. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, before Definitely. I would have never gotten into this relationship with her ever. Not in a million years. I would have never have dated somebody like her, especially being Catholic. Ugh. Right, right. I guess we'll leave it there. And I appreciate taking the time. I understand this is a long interview, but it was very good to yeah, speak no, with fun. you about your experiences <laughs> and your thoughts. And I wish you all the best. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes as they're released.